0: Hi, Nerdist Writers Panel listeners. This is Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. Uh, listen, it's just us here. We're friends. Um, I want to uh, tell you guys, between us, that uh, this about this Michelangelo screenwriting program. I've talked about it on the podcast before, but here's the thing. There were ten participants last year. It was incredibly fun. This is just to remind you. It's Michelangelo screenwriting. We go off to Italy for two weeks. We all work on our screenplays or uh, pilots or comic books or whatever. And we all kind of collaborate, and it's like a writer's room, and it's incredibly fun. And you're in Italy for two weeks just writing with no other responsibilities. Okay, that's it. There were ten participants last year. Five of them heard about the program through this Nerdist Nerdist Writers Panel. Five of them did not. Five of them turned in incredibly awesome scripts uh, and were ridiculously helpful and fun to be around in the writer's room environment. Five of them had kind of poor scripts and were not so much fun to be around. Guess which five of those latter five were in the... Heard about it through the Nerdist Writers Panel. Yeah, it was all of them. The cool ones were from the Writers Panel. So this year, I think we've got five people signed up already. Uh, I'm excited about that. Every single one of them heard about the Michelangelo Screenwriting Program through the Nerdist Writers Panel. So it means we've already got the makings of an awesome group. I've seen their resumes. I've read their samples. These are good people. Um, I'd like to get a few more uh, signed up uh, for the Michelangelo Screenwriting Program. Because, like, 8 to 10 is a really strong number to have in the room. Uh, and, and you know, I feel like we can really make some good progress on stuff. But I want those last five people to all come from the Nerdist Writers panel and not from some other place. Because the people who come from some other place are weirdos. They don't get it. You guys get it. We'll all be on the same page. I won't have to teach you how to pitch. You'll have heard... Uh, you know Josh Friedman tell you how to pitch, or you 've you 've heard Jeff Greenstein tell you how to pitch, um, so we can actually skip a lot of the sort of basic stuff and really get into the writing um, and the workshopping of uh, of scripts so if you are listening to this and you have an inkling and I know it 's a little pricey it 's like three thousand bucks that 's a bit pricey, but for two weeks. Uh, getting to go to Italy, getting to work with other really great writers, some of whom who have had stuff produced uh, these are this is an impressive group who signed up so far um, you know i I think it's absolutely worth it if I were starting out in this business uh, at twenty years old, thirty years old, fifty years old i would I would jump on this experience um, it should be pretty phenomenal and it's two weeks in Orvieto Italy. The pasta is unbelievable. Uh, and we eat so much of it. And we drink a lot. So I hope you're into that. Um, so anyway, listen. Come come to Italy with me. Let's talk about uh, TV and write pilots or write your screenplay or whatever you want to do. But really, come on. Let's get the TV people. Uh, it's the Orvieto Retreat June 15th through June 28th. And then there's a, a thing where you can add on a week if you want. And if we get enough of those we'll, we'll do that. Um, go to michelangeloscreenwriting.com uh, just like it seems. Michelangelo, like the artist. Screenwriting, like the craft. Uh, one word, michelangeloscreenwriting.com and go to the Orvieto Retreat. Um, and I would love to see you guys there. I, I, sincerely, I would love to see uh, Nerdist Writers Panel listeners there because uh, you guys are you're cool people. I can tell by the Twitters and by the Facebooks and by the uh, comments you leave on iTunes, which you know all of it is appreciated. So... Check that out, MichelangeloScreenwriting.com, or Retreat. All right, T-Fury, that's our, that's our sponsor again. Here we go. T-Fury is the original pop culture t-shirt destination selling unique designs every day since 2008. You can snag their shirts for only 24 hours starting at midnight. Missing a shirt from the past and want to get it again? Head to the T-Fury gallery where you can buy some old designs, still in print, and vote on others to come back from the dead. Every two to four weeks, T-Fury adds more designs to their gallery, so be sure to keep an eye out for the return of your favorite shirts. T-Fury shirts cover all of your favorite topics and fandoms. They've got everything from gaming, sci-fi, anime, TV, movies, pop culture, and more. Their t-shirts change daily, so check back as often as you'd like. Honestly, I bought a bunch of T-Fury shirts. Uh, for my family for Christmas, so check them out. Also, don't forget about the T-Fury after-hour sale. If you missed the day's shirt only by little, they keep the sale going into the wee hours of the morning just for you. Check out tfury.com slash Nerdist and see what today's shirt is all about. And now, enjoy this podcast.
1: Now entering (laughs) Nerdist.com
2: It's the Nerdist Writers panel on the Nerdist Podcast channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah!
0: You know our first panelist as a writer on the hit USA series, White Collar and Graceland. You also know him from Twitter, I bet. Please welcome Joe Henderson. Hello, perfect. Hi. Uh, these next two fellows are the creators of Sh- of shit my dad says, the Twitter feed, the book, and the CBS comedy. Uh, their other credits include Cougar Town and the upcoming Surviving Jack. Uh, please welcome Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher. Justin, Patrick. Hi. Uh, and finally, the creator and current <laughs> showrunner and executive producers of Community, please welcome Dan Harmon and Chris McKenna. <laughs> Hi, guys. Thank you all for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, Let's get into it. A lot of people on this panel, and a lot to talk about too. What is the most pressing? Let's talk about shit my dad says. (laughs) Um, We started talking about this a little bit in the green room, and I I genuinely am curious to hear from you guys, uh, Justin and Patrick. You have this new show, uh, Surviving Jack, coming up. Is that the correct title? Yeah. (laughs) Every time I say it, it sounds wrong. Like it's it's not a good title either. It's, it's better than the other one. Though. It, right? was,
2: it was like number 70 on the list of titles we submitted to Fox. And they were like, well, that one's kind of innocuous. We talk a little bit about
0: this show. And um, we'll get into kind of the pitching process and how it came to be. But I'm curious about, you know, what has happened once it was picked up? And how that experience is different from shit my dad says, and what you guys learned from that first experience that you took to this new experience.
3: Well, I think the first time we were, it was our first TV job, yeah. so we were just kind of like, "This is fun!" <laughs> like we we didn't really have. Uh, as soon as we sold the property to Warner Brothers, shit my dad says it was kind of out of our hands a little bit, oh, really? um, and not to like. Put blame on somebody else for the show being really bad because I think like we were the you know co-creators of the show and we needed to have like a strong voice and we kind of just didn't know what we were doing so the blame goes squarely on us but
2: but uh, it, was, it was based on your life so
3: okay fine the blame goes squarely on me um, but uh, uh, this time I think it was a an idea that we had sort of really taking a lot of time to think about, and we were careful about who we did it with, and we sort of had these things to watch out for. Like, in Shit My Dad Says, just, like, from the start, we knew it was kind of out of our hands, and we didn't know how to, like, put sort of our stamp on it. Like, we were sitting in a casting... This is how little they gave a a fuck about us. We were sitting (laughs) in a casting meeting, and they were trying to cast, basically, me, I guess. And uh, (laughs) one of the casting guys from CBS just, like, turns and goes... We need the good-looking version of him, <laughs> and ben pointed right at me. As <laughs> so I was like, oh, they don't even care for here. Or not like they're just insulting to our face. <laughs> oh so I think uh, this time we we were much more. We were hands-on. We wrote the pilot this time. Like I mean, we really had a lot of say. So what? Tell me a little bit about the experience on shit my dad says.
0: Like, you guys sold the property, and then it was basically taken over. Someone else wrote the pilot, it was
3: put into someone's hands, but you guys were allowed to be producers and writers on it? Yeah, we were allowed to have uh, staff jobs on on the show, and which was great. I mean, it was an amazing experience to, to learn, and, and I think like, well, I had more fun than you did.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it was, an, it was, yeah, it was an inter- interesting experience because we were billed as co-EPs on the show, and we had never written yeah. television before on a Multi-camera sitcom on CBS with William Shatner, and you're thrust into this thing. And you know, I at least you know Justin had his life to kind of mine from, so he was looked at as the authority, and I was just like the guy writing Justin's coattails. <laughs> um, um, and they were but, really gross coattails. <laughs> <laughs> but we had been writing partners for I don't know seven years prior to that, and uh, you know, it, it was a weird experience like just pitching the show because. You have this Twitter account The Twitter account kind of blew up Justin got a book deal out of it and then the galleys for the book had gone out and all of these studios are affiliated with all these publishers and then all of a sudden it's like the tables have turned and studios are pitching themselves to us to have the rights to this yeah. to do this show so, so how did you
3: guys wind up where you did wind up yeah jeez uh, I can't even remember I think I think it was like the least uh, angry person in the meetings was sort of, like people would it was surprising like they were pitching on the property but they were just they would like yell at us for 35 minutes about like what we needed to do <laughs> and then and then afterwards they'd be like so do you want to go with us and they'd be like I don't think so um and then Warner Brothers was kind of they seemed like they at least wanted to like go through the you know hoops of like trying to make it seem like we were going to have sort of a bigger say um, uh, and I don't blame them. We we had done nothing before. Like we shouldn't. It was like that movie Little Big League, where they just like hand a team to a twelve year old. Like they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna do that with that's us. The like, first time Little Big League has come up on Hispanic panel. Also. That's disappointing. It'll surprise you. Um, so I don't like begrudge them. I think that yep. I wouldn't have turned it over to us either. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, Warner Brothers seemed to be the place that like at least cared about. They had read. Like they were the only place that actually read something else we had written. Everybody else was just like, yeah, we don't need to read that, but like. So at at a certain point, I mean,
0: they presumably brought in a showrunner. They brought in, you know, a, a staff. Um, did it feel like your show?
3: <laughs> well, I had written a book uh, that I was really proud of, and I thought the book turned out really well. And but the, none, nobody who was involved with the show had read the book, uh-huh. which is what the show was based on. So. <laughs> um, Again, I should have been, like, a stronger voice in the room and, and you know, really said, like, hey, here's what I think would work. Here's what worked in this book. But uh, I, I, I wasn't.
2: I think one of the things that really worked in the book was that you have this father character who is highly educated, but he kind of speaks like a farmer and drops F-bombs like, it, like it's Wolf of Wall Street. So... Um, you know, that show doesn't necessarily live best on CBS as a multi-camera. It just um, turned into, like, Grumpy Dad who, like, fucked
3: horrors and, like, it, it, it wasn't my dad. Like, it was just, like, <laughs> like not that there's not a great show about Grumpy Dad that fucks horrors, but it wasn't, that wasn't the show that was, we... All of whore-fucking was off-camera, though. It was, like, alluded to.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he had fucked his cousin by episode five.
3: That was, like, the, one of the first things my dad said when he watched an episode and he hated it. <laughs> And he was like, "I've never fucked a whore."
0: <laughs> uh, so, so going into surviving Jack, how did you guys readjust and make sure? No whore that... fucking. Sure. <laughs> um, I how think... did you make sure that yours was the voice of this new show?
3: Well, partly we did the show. Uh, the executive producer of the show was Bill Lawrence. And Bill, like, was very aware of what had happened the first time and was, like, did not want to be the, the guy who, like, came and r- just walked all over us. So Bill kind of let us take the lead. And, uh, and he also, he rightly so, he, like, recognized that this show will feel like every other show if you don't have something special about that central character. And we also wanted to do a show that was more like the Wonder Years that was kind of what we'd always wanted to do um and so I think we just the characters were more we made sure to make them much more specific and and I think we just wanted to tell the stories also from a you know fifteen year old kid's point of view is it um is it another multi or is it a single cam uh it's a single cam, and that's the other thing is like my dad is not, like, an intentionally funny... Uh, like, like, he's very unintentionally funny. He's just, like, he is who he is. Like, he doesn't really tell a lot of jokes. Um, but in multi-camera format, especially how it is now, it's like if you're at a table read and there's not, like, a joke every eight seconds, executives are, like, freaking out. And so uh, the, it just forced us to, like, him to be... Like, he might as well have, like, a glass of scotch and a cigar and one light on him, you know? Um, <laughs> and so I think in this... In this iteration of it, it, the character's not really like that. He's just kind of himself, and hopefully that's where the comedy comes from. Well, we'll find out. When does it premiere? March. March. uh, Sometime in March after uh, American Idol. Cool. Uh,
0: Well, we'll talk more about it, because I do want to hear about the pitching and the putting together of this show. Um, But uh, on the topic of authorial voice, uh, this has been sort of a conversation for the past year, year and a half, uh, in large part uh, due to you gentlemen. I don't really want to talk about uh, community without uh, Harmon and McKenna, but I do want to talk about community with Harmon and McKenna. Um, You guys are back. Congratulations. The show is great. We've seen two episodes now, right? The show is great. I think it's sort of well-trod what brought you guys back. But I want to hear about your perspective and, like, has your approach to the show changed? Has your approach with the network, with the actors changed? Uh, But I want to hear about the show itself first and the writing itself.
4: Uh, I think that um, the, the approach to the show has changed only in that in previous years it was... There were various combinations politically behind the scenes of either me trying to collaborate with, with, with other EPs or me struggling with those EPs, whether deservedly so or not, um, uh, the, 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 there was always, at a certain point with a, a, a few episodes into season one, here came Chris McKenna, who was always the heart of the show as far as I was concerned like but he he was never he never had that EP credit Chris is wildly shaking his head he disagrees (laughs) he was always sitting there in the in in the writers room and um, which which was also a great thing because he was sort of a sergeant in arms that all the writers really trusted um, and was and then the results got even better as I started Going with Chris's recommendations about who to bring on, people he had worked with on American Dad and stuff. Uh, anyways, but the, so the, the the approach this year is only different in that um, we all got you know the entire deck got hosed down for season four, and then Chris and I are the only two that clambered back <laughs> aboard. So now it was it's just the two of us, and there there's very there's minimal political. Chicanery going on above us, and certainly not below us, because it was just a bunch of like really, really loyal, excited, enthusiastic uh, writers that, that that knew exactly what they were getting into, and then <laughs> us at the top. So the 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 approach was just all the rope we wanted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let me you know, let
3: me let
0: me stop you here because I'm I'm curious about. I mean, putting together a staff of people who now know and probably love the show is very different from putting together that first season staff. So. Tell me a little bit about you guys putting together that staff and what you were looking for and the kinds of people that were making that up.
5: <laughs> well, it was tough Because the whole thing came together. By the time it came together, staffing season was over. And, um, and so suddenly when it looked like this, oh, this is reality. We, everyone, it was just a joke. Every, everyone we reached out to, there were two answers. It was, oh, sorry, I'm on Parks and Rec. <laughs> or oh sorry I'm on the mindy project um and so it was but it was great you know it was one of these things where then Dan and I were you know were just suddenly inundated with scripts and um you know reaching out to people we knew um but for the most part just reading mostly it was just people we didn't even know we were just reading a bunch of scripts and it was just this process that we were we quickly had to do because we only had um it was going to be a ten week pre-production but because all this stuff happened so last minute, we had a, it turned into a nine-week. There was just no way to do everything we needed to do in terms of hiring a staff and getting everything going. So, it, you know, we it, it all happened very quickly and it ended up that we got a bunch of great people, but a lot of them were just um, very green. I mean, it was a lot of lower level level writers, but you know, people that you know Dan had Dan had been wanting to work with, and that people like you know, like oh, I'm a fan of yours on Twitter. So we reached out to a couple people, um, and uh, and then some people that I had worked with before, um, like Eric Summers, um, I had worked with him on American Dad. um, He
4: uh, he He was this year's miracle. I mean, like (laughs) like Chris had worked with him. I don't know why I hadn't learned the lesson, like to just trust him. But it was because he cost. A lot of money, relatively, and uh, and a, but, but uh, yeah, the, this year like like me and Chris having to run the show, being given enough rope to hang ourselves like like the the new Chris McKenna. Therefore, was Eric Summers. He was there in that room, like like being the sergeant at arms, running joke rooms and stuff like that. Chris and I were experiencing unprecedented uh, uh, levels of of of. Distraction, you know, yeah. Just like, like, like we did not know going into it. And we did know. There was nothing we could do about it. We knew exactly going into it how hard it's going to be when you're juggling going to the set because if you turn your back on the set, we're, we're, it's, a, it's a writer's podcast, so let me just be hyperbolic. If you leave the set for five minutes, that's five minutes of them shooting the jokes wrong.
1: If you, if, you leave the,
4: if you leave the writer's room for five minutes, that's five minutes of bad jokes. And if you leave the edit bay for five minutes, that's five minutes of shitty editing. Like, like, and you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And and if you ever say anything like that, you're you're branded an asshole for 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 your entire career. But it's a writer. Uh don't let this get out. (laughs) Well, did you you see the turnout? It's not going to get out. (laughs) Uh, It's it's a writer's podcast, so I'm speaking hyperbolically. I'm speaking uh, jingoistically. And I I will
0: say, I mean, you are a guy, and we've spoken about this before, who has directors at the top of their game actors at the top of their game editors at the top of the game I mean you praise these people a
4: lot everybody's doing a great job is... and they're all doing it wrong yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, like none of them are ever gonna do it the way you want them to do it uh, that's that's well, the that's, that's the author right I mean that's 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 the Billy Wilder syndrome yeah. I mean I, th- I don't even think he ever wanted to be a director i I, I think he just he just gave up like trying like yelling at people yeah. it's like if it, I, that's the way I feel is like I, I don't think I would make a good director. I, I know I wouldn't make a good actor. I know I wouldn't make a good lighting director. I know I don't know where to put the makeup, um, uh, but I but I but. I, I, I just want to focus on the writing, but then I'm, but I'm Billy Wilder also... would never,
5: he, from what I've read, Billy Wilder was never like, okay, yeah, let's go off script now. I mean, it was always get it exactly as written. And n- not to say that, you know, community, uh, it was not fun improv and stuff, but it really, it's one of those things where we spend so much time, it's so, you know, Dan spent so much time, like, w- with the exact wording, that missing a word, as you know, in any comedy, if you, uh, guess what? You, you didn't do that word? You didn't think it was important? Well... It was, and now that joke doesn't play, or that moment
4: doesn't play as it did. But well, anyway, so the approach was like, like at the beginning. I remember, I literally, I should tell this here too. Uh, this is the this is the place to confess this. the The season began with me, literally. I uh, defined thought for the writers' room. I, I sat down, I, I, because I thought this is our chance to really organize things. Like I'm, am a big like organization freak. Uh, uh, work harder, not smarter. Work smarter, not harder. Guy, uh, and uh, I, I was like, okay, here's how we're gonna revolutionize the writing process. And I was like, what is a story? Before we ask, what is a story? What is thought? <laughs> And I I, like, I, like, I put a, a pinpoint on the whiteboard and said, well, this is a thought. Here's a thought. Here's a thought. A story is a bunch of thoughts arranged in a circle. Cut to six weeks later, it's like, what the fuck? What sets do we have? Um, uh, what can we do with a giant prop banana? Because that's the situation you're in. Because you fucked off and talked about thought for <laughs> for two weeks, you dumb, pretentious jag-off. Uh, it, it, uh, the, the, the approach initially was like, let's do our show this time. Let's do our show. I did pin. Though having like look like why
5: I did pitch that you should like walk. We have all these writers, Uh, so I mean it was my it was my fault too. But not but not only that it was just also getting everyone on board in terms of like we're all thinking the same way. We're all thinking about story at least the same way. And not only that, just the process of going from area to you know to story to embryo to and that whole process. Which yeah, at a certain point, it's just we're running pages down to the set going, right. we just finished this. Here, yeah, it, it's, it. it. uh, it's hard uh, enough when so, you
0: do have a lead time, and you guys yeah, had no yeah. lead time going to this.
5: Well, yeah. Um, I will say, I, I think it was a very, we kept to a very strict schedule, which we'd never done before in pre-production. <laughs> we broke nine stories. We're like, we're going to break a story a week, and we're going to come out of this with a number of scripts, but also, we're going to come out with nine stories. And then, so we did it. We broke, we broke nine stories. Some of the stories, yes, did change, uh, but that we didn't break anything else for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> because that, and, but it's like a lot of shows. Which is then, then just production happens, and yeah. you just... It is a very detail-oriented show. And that uh, you get... You get you you are... You are, you know, trains are leaving the station while you're still, like, you know, hammering. Uh, anyway.
0: Uh, well, I want to hear more about uh, how the story is broke and rebroke. But before that, uh, just briefly, and before we get to Joe, um, you know, you guys hadn't written... An episode of Community in over a year. Uh, tell me about getting back into it, getting these voices back. Was it easy? Was it difficult? What was the whole process like?
4: Oh man, I, 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 I mean, the show was never templated. It was never, never done the same thing twice. So I, I it was, it was getting back on that <coughs> same nine-legged, uh, bent-backed, uh, <laughs> uh, two-headed. Uh, 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 Half assassinated horse, <laughs> the same old horse, but that horse is like a spider creature from a John Carpenter movie. It's not. And
5: to, to that, I will say, you know, then we, there were there were a lot of bills to pay in the first few episodes. We thought it was just going to be the first. Okay, well, you know, well, that I will say, you know, writing repilot. I think there was a lot of bashing of our heads, uh, and then you guys you guys know you probably probably heard about this then then it was like okay and then we had this giant curveball with with Donald so yeah. it was like oh, really we got we got to do all this kind of stuff in the first episode and get things back on track and and then then we have to now somehow do a some sort of judo flip into this you know but one thing you know one thing that i think was refreshing about going away and coming back was stuff like Donald didn't make did leap out a window, you know, it was, you know, I think season three, we got pulled off the schedule and I think we all got very depressed by that. And because now we're just, war- it's like, oh, we're not, we're never going to, you know, the, the thought was, you know, for a lot of us, we're never, we're never going to be back on the yeah, air Yeah, it's again. too
4: dangerous a situation having a showrunner that can be emotionally affected by being pulled off the schedule. That's not that's not professional, like, <laughs> thickness of skin. I look back on it now, and I laugh, because it's like, what what was that guy worried about? <laughs> I, I like, like, they made my show without me. It was insane. <laughs> uh, like, 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 I was cleaning a litter box, and they're they like, episode 48 of Community, here it goes. And I'm like, what are you doing? No, I'm not there. Um, uh, and so coming back, no there's no air date you 're more than off this guy. I was like that that was a good thing like it was like fuck, you know fuck everything but making uh thirteen good episodes in a row. There was a really strange creative uh, uh, viewpoint we had to take, which was really it 's the studio's ideal that's, that's they, they they want the people that are in the syndication business they want your show to be welcome back Cotter. they want your show to exist in a timeless void and I was always fighting that fight always annoying them by reminding them that time was passing and stuff and they always accurately viewed that as problematic and less syndicatable than just saying eh, it's community college let's just hang out we get a test tomorrow oh no
5: it could be three Christmases a year yeah. <laughs> uh, but no it's funny because you know Dan was like no Dan had this whole you know you guys you started seeing season two and three the, it was his, his idea of like let's build the world out so it doesn't have to be around a study room table Uh, so that season four everyone's graduated and season five they open a detective agency or whatever so that if it does last
4: seven seasons which is the most a show can hope for that three of those seasons isn't spent making an ass of yourself you know like like, like, how about seven good seasons like like, like, seven seasons is a great run like why would you want four really good ones and then three where you're kind of like Oh, I lost my graduation slip! <laughs> <laughs> like, and just insulting everyone that hung out for four years. I,
0: I want to pick up on that. Um, and, and, I mean, it, it certainly is the most ambitious uh, comedy, probably drama either, on TV. Um, and I want to talk
4: about how, you know... Which is a hilarious word. I mean, when people hear about the most ambitious comedy yeah. on TV, you're, already, you're all ready to laugh. That's that's why it gets such high ratings America's Ambitious Comedy It's back Look who's swinging for the joke fence
5: Hey Ma Hey Ma, ambition
4: It's the least organic experience you'll have Watching a sitcom Take your apron off, wrap it around your head Tie it around your throat Really tight (laughs) And don't tune into community. <laughs> America.
0: All right, well, I... I, I want to talk about... Promo.
4: It's a show that asks, why are you watching? <laughs> what is TV? What if you just downloaded it? What is cha-ching. A Sarcastic <laughs> <laughs> cha-ching.
0: Joe. <laughs> um... Let's talk about USA programming. Uh, you've worked now on two USA
6: shows, related. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're both uh, uh, Jeff Easton show-run shows.
0: So. Um, and you, you're... Uh, uh, White Collar was your first TV
6: show, right? That was my first staffing gig, yeah. Yeah, I, so you uh, kind of
0: came up under Easton, uh, and now... You're not, not, not physically, but... None <laughs> of my business.
6: Um,
0: and now you have kind of a big hand in helping to run Graceland, Correct.
6: I did uh, season one I'm actually uh, I'm, You're developing your I'm developing now I'm a f- I I say uh, I did five seasons of White Collar one season of Graceland uh, a month of Almost Human and uh, yeah it was just a lot of fun I got to basically jump in and play with robots for uh, two episodes so. uh, but
0: I want to talk about you know as you're getting closer and closer to running your own show to having your own show what did you learn on these five years you know what are, what are the most valuable lessons that you're going to take with you
6: Honestly, the, the biggest thing I learned and the biggest thing I think helped me survive was just, you know, a good room. Like, to me, a good room is everything. It's the most important thing. And uh, I've, I've been in a mix of them now uh, in as much as that, like, sometimes you just get the chemistry, sometimes you don't. But to me, the most important thing is when you have the people that will pitch positive and pitch additive in as much as that, like... We, we formed a really nice room of people, uh, a couple of which are actually here, who uh, you, you would pitch on top of each other you would make sure it, no one remembers what episode 7 of White Collar is people will know if, if season 2 was good you know like it's, it, it doesn't really matter if your episode has the best joke or the best moment or the best line it matters if your season or your show is good and that was a big thing that either consciously or not our entire room really took to heart and uh, that to me that was everything keeping people in the loop keeping them involved uh, we were we were all very uh, empowered on the show. We went to editing. We went to set, which I think is so important. If you don't have a writer on set, it just it gets really hard to convey tone of what you're trying to do and what you want to accomplish. Um, so we were we were empowered to do as much as possible, as much as we wanted to do. And most of us wanted to do a lot. A lot of us were very young and hungry, or just hungry. Period. And uh, it was it was important. Like it's it's one of those things where uh, a, a harmonious room to me is everything. Um, because we uh, Matt Nix on this always has the Patriots versus mercenaries idea, which I think is amazing. Yeah. It's. Who who are the people that will bleed for your show? Who are the people who will come in and when they are sent home, they're going to keep working on it, and when they come back in the morning, they've got new ideas. Versus the people who go home and make a microwave meal and hang out, which that's acceptable, that's completely fine. But I want the people who are bleeding uh, the colors of my show every night. Um,
0: uh, and just to kind of, uh, it's a great advice. And just to kind of wrap up this authorial voice um, conversation. You know, when your job is a staff writer, your your job is to emulate the voice of the creator of the show. How much do you get to have your own voice heard? How much is your voice in an individual episode or over a season versus how much is serving that overall? Uh...
6: Yeah, I mean, that's the, the tricky thing. And I think the biggest thing you need to do is figure out what the showrunner wants. Some showrunners want, like, the X-Files model, which is you get that episode where, uh, okay, this episode is going to feel more like uh, this, this author or this writer and you know when this kind of episode comes up that it's going to be a little different and some want you to write exactly what they would write and nothing else um, I think we were fortunate because we were allowed to put a little bit of ourselves into each episode and so and like sometimes swing for the fences and let them rewrite it but at least show them that you have an idea and to me the biggest challenge is getting a sense of who your boss is and what they want because some of them want that, and some of them are going to get really pissed off if you write your your own voice into it.
0: How much is rewritten on these shows by the showrunner? Uh,
6: it it depends. Like it depends on <coughs> the the writer and the the author. Like uh, I I've gotten I was very fortunate. I most of my scripts went fairly intact. Um, uh, just because I knew what Jeff wanted and I, I I knew it was happening. But you know you do a page one rewrite of scripts that uh that's happened before it it it, it's weird it's like it's it's alchemy you know it's like it just depends on how they turn out and how much faith uh your showrunner has in you in my case i happen to be in a very good spot so
0: and it wasn't is production kind of like we were talking about uh with these guys you know were things changed on the fly was it fairly locked into what the script does
6: uh our actors uh they would come up to us if not the morning before if there were new pages uh, right before the episode we would take their notes we were very collaborative uh, so it, if they had a thought we would change the scene partially just because it's fun You've, you've got the scene exists why not rewrite it and make it uh, make it a little different so we really embraced the actors' notes and they were very respectful and not doing it all the time we would push back we would fight back worst case scenario if they wanted to improv we'd let them improv at the end of the scene so that we could cut it if we didn't want it um but our actors lived in these characters you know they like matt bomer thinks about neil caffrey all the time tim decay like this guy cares so much about his character um so if they have a problem with the scene we're going to reevaluate it
0: uh yeah and that's the kind of thing we've heard a number of times from you know especially as shows go on past two years three years that the actors know these guys as much as the writers who created them.
6: Do. Yeah, I mean, it becomes their character more than yours, at least in, in their minds very much. And, and, and listen, rightly so at times. Like, you want them to be living and breathing it, and when they say, Neil wouldn't say this line, I might disagree, but at the very least I'll find a different line um, because the very, I want them to be comfortable with what their character will say. And, like, they, they've been saying these lines, they've been saying these words, they know it feels comfortable
0: that makes sense um, I want to skip over here uh, gentlemen uh, and talk about process a little bit um, we love talking to teams because uh, no two teams tend to work the same way how do you guys work on a script uh, from, from beginning to end like, how do you even decide what project to work on
2: I mean, Justin writes a book and then we.
4: (laughs) First, your dad says some shit. Exactly. (laughs) Give credit (laughs) where.
3: It's not untrue. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think for us, uh, we've worked on, you know, half the shows we've worked on have been based off of uh, a book. But uh, I think a lot of times it's just whatever idea makes. Us laugh. I mean, it sounds, like, so cliche, but you don't want to write anything that doesn't make you laugh or doesn't have some sort of thing that feels inspired about it. So normally he and I will, like, t- take some super long walk, <laughs> and if something is, like, generated in there, Chelsea's then... he has got
2: an amazing garden in his backyard. He's <laughs> walking circles. Um, <laughs> no, but I think it's, like, a process of elimination. We just, you know, oftentimes we'll just, if we're looking to write a spec or whatever... We come up with, like, 25 log lines and, you know, just throw them back and forth and refine them until we end up with one that we really like. And you
4: guys are going to cause the biggest fight between me and Chris in the car on the way home. <laughs> you never take long walks with me in a car. <laughs> I've heard of your garden.
5: I've never seen it.
6: I, I feel so alone on this panel. Uh,
3: I mean, the problem we'll is... Find somebody for you. <laughs> The problem is at some point during, like, in our process, at some point, like, within the first few days, Patrick will be like, I hate this so much. It's the worst idea ever. I'm not, I don't want to do it. And then I'll, like, have to talk him into it and, like, fight for an idea that, like, I don't even believe in that much. And then we'll, like... Eventually get to something where we're we're both happy with it, but it's it's a, lot, a lot of like of whining, yeah.
2: <laughs> Mostly whining.
3: It's like I feel like I feel like half of our day is just like really bitchy whining that <laughs> that's like really annoying that people would lose respect. Like we we actually <laughs> we actually had to stop that in the room because this is the first year we ran a show, and so we ran we ran the show this year, and we get in these like whiny bitchy conversations in front of like other adults. <laughs>
2: Started the room like what's whining
4: and then we. Put <laughs> this. Are you talking about whining about other? Uh, are you talking about whining about your own ideas as they're coming out? Like 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 one of you says, "What if a werewolf landed on the moon?" And then the other one goes, "Hey, werewolves!" <laughs> yes, that. We're, in fact, I, that might have been a conversation we've had. <laughs>
3: we uh, I, I think it, it like we had to like grow up <laughs> pretty fast because generally it gets like petulant. I mean, we're really close friends as well, so. Uh, I think that's what I don't think. Like I always hear people be like, "Well, I just like took this partner and we became partners because it helped us get staff or something." I'm like, "How, the, God!" Like there's times where I'm just like, "I want to fucking kill you," and but I don't because he's like my best friend, so it's it works, you know. But I feel like he, I don't. Your know. Writing
4: partnership is propelled by the unanswerable question: Who should be more thankful? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a double-edged sword, man. Be careful. <laughs> that's,
5: that's, everywhere. that's every supposedly held, like good relationship is you think on some level that you're lucky.
4: Right. And then then, then on some level that you think the other guy's getting a free ride, yeah. Exactly. But (laughs) but you you gotta, both those dolphins gotta keep each foot up. Or there's gonna be a SeaWorld incident.
0: Uh, Do you guys, uh, and I hate to make you kind of... explore this uh, on stage, but let's do it. Um, do you guys think... See
5: other writers? Do you guys think you, consider seeing other writers? Actually, do, you, do you work with what other you
0: writers? There's no time, right, to work with other writers. No. Um, do you... Are you aware of what each of you brings to the table?
3: Yeah, at least I am. Uh, Besides a book. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like, generally speaking, I think that... Uh, the things, like, I'll notice that I'll really half-ass parts of the script that I know he'll do better than I will. So, like, even though we're writing together, it's not like he goes off and writes a part and I go off and write a part. Like, we're sitting there writing it together, but I'll be like, and then this guy says this. And it's, like, a really half-ass line because I know that it's, like, right in his wheelhouse and he'll do a much better job. And what, then, what are those sort of things? Uh, I don't know. I would guess, like... Horror <laughs> jokes. <laughs> this guy can write that a whore joke.
4: Um, if it's like shit that someone else's dad would say, <laughs> then it goes to me. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, I, I feel like.
4: <laughs> the, By the way, this dad is Dad. One lowers the, the the gun on the the, <laughs> the, the boat sinking. The, the the timer on the bomb's about to go from three to one other dad. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but dad one <laughs> says, what is this? some kind got a Japanese boss. <laughs>
3: I can write the shit out of dad one. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think like uh, Pat's always better at like conceiving a scene in terms of like where we need to go from beginning, middle, end. Like I'll get caught up in dialogue in the middle of the scene and get really excited about a certain joke and try to like structure an entire scene over one joke that I love and he's like, This makes no fucking sense. <laughs> so I feel
2: like I'm logic police often. Mm-hmm.
3: Which That's is when right we get whiny. Like I'm like nobody fucking cares. They just wanna laugh.
2: Does one of you guys
4: physically <laughs> sit at a keyboard and the other one doesn't? Like, like, you know, or we you... will
2: we will actually do that screen share thing, but it's weird because we're oftentimes in the same room. Yeah. So, but
0: you're literally working on the same script at the same on the time,
2: same, yeah, yeah. which is a real mind
5: fuck because I'll type something and he'll de- like delete. <laughs> but, wait, shouldn't one time. of you be playing with a little mini basketball hoop? <laughs> <laughs> he, uh,
0: there's a way these things are done. <laughs> uh,
5: I heard a story, uh, nameless, but there was a, uh, a star who uh, was who like co-created a show. And he was writing a, an episode and like, one of the first things he did is he put up one of those little mini basketball games, like because that's, that's what writers do. <laughs> oh, gross. Um, uh,
4: the, uh, in the old days, when I was writing with Rob there were Schraub, little tiny peach baskets.
1: <laughs> I
4: would just sit at the keyboard and Rob would sit on a couch behind me because he was sort of like, he was the visual guy. He was the guy who would say, I hate werewolves. And I was the guy who would say, what would a werewolf say if he landed on the moon? How would he feel about it and stuff? So I was the point man on the keyboard physically, and he would often feel weird fraud complex because as he, he knew from the same sources as the, as the basketball hoops that if, how can you be a writer if, you're, if you've never physically typed anything? Um, but I knew enough about what we were doing together to know that he was 50% to credit for what was coming out of us, that, that, that I was definitely writing his coattails as much. But, and, and it's, it's, the technology has changed now, though. Also, just being in a writer's room. If I, if I were to ever do another straight up partnership, like if I were to write a feature with another person, I think I would just sit there with them really? and do the screen sharing thing. Because I've I've, had, I've grown a lot of different membranes now for that stuff. It seems so inefficient to me, though. Like
0: no, you I could think, well, be doing pieces of it, and then you're going to pass it back and forth anyway, right? But well,
3: not not really. I mean,
0: if I it's fe-
4: inefficient, then that's probably not like a simpatico. Writing partnership.
3: Yeah, I would agree with so that.
4: That's sort of like saying it's inefficient, the idea of being in a dance floor. I mean, I hate to romanticize their writing <laughs> partnerships, but that, that, you, you, the easiest, most facile metaphor is romantic relationships or dancing partnerships or dating or something. They, yeah, Be like to say, oh, that's really inefficient that you guys have to agree on which restaurant to go to. But
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of times when one of us will write a joke or a di- piece of dialogue for a character... 99% of the time, we'll erase our own joke knowing that it's not going to fly with the other guy or it's not exactly right. You're kind of
4: waiting for the other guy to call yeah. you. You're like, like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Uh, like, like, oh, thank God you erased that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: and yeah, I think there absolutely is that if you've been working together long enough, which you guys have. You're like, this won't stand up to him. I have to get rid of this before he even sees it.
3: Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it kind of reminds me of like when I, my wife will send me out for groceries and I know when I come home, like, I haven't done well. Like, I, haven't done, I haven't, like, brought home what she... Like, I know when I'm at the grocery store, like, I bypass something. I, like, I know that's what she wants. And I just, like, some bastard part of me doesn't get it for her for some reason. This is getting way too deep into my relationship with my wife. But, but I, yeah, I, like, I know, what he, I know what he's looking for. And I know it's also what I'm trying to achieve as well.
5: On the first... Show, I'm curious. So the first show you did, um, when you guys weren't running it... Um, was your partnership i mean that must, it must have been a strange uh situation to be in um obviously you guys were new to it but it was your it was your thing but you weren't running it did you feel like your partnership it was oftentimes like glaring at the other person like i can't believe you just said that because i mean what was the what was the tenor of the room like with with the the showrunners and the rest of the staff uh it was a tense Tense room. Um, I was Kohan and Muchnick.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I like those guys. They run a, a very specific style of room. That now that we've been on four or five shows, we've seen it's like not the standard kind of room. It's like a very hyper competitive room. Like they're like writers pitted against each other, and like a, like they really like feel like that brings. That's what worked for them on Will and Grace. And uh, like just generally speaking, like uh, I I'm I'll pitch more stuff. But it's not necessarily good. And he like he'll think through things a lot. And I think like for their room, it was like an awkward fit for for that room. And so I think it was a lot of like he and I kind of.
5: And you guys have to be dressed to the nines.
3: <laughs> on show night, you do. <laughs> Fuck yeah, three piece suit.
5: Um, my, my my wife uh, started out as an office PA on Will and Grace, and by the end was a upper level writer. But that is a tough, notoriously tough. Room.
3: yeah they can run you. their like in between takes it's like the stock market where they're like all right who has jokes for this
5: and writers That's like yelling jokes now. and like
3: yeah, trying to get tomorrow. stuff in and and yeah it's pretty intense and like that was our first experience on a show so we we're just like is this what they're all like well, yeah it was a
2: yeah, really can you tough <laughs> first year for me and uh i'm sure can yeah, you compare yeah. that to cougar town oh my <laughs> god oh my <laughs> god Cougartown was, like, the fucking best. <laughs> <laughs> it well, the there
3: was a like, happy place, but uh,
2: tell yeah, us about how that, like
3: that. how that room is run. That room was, like, well, when we were there, Bill was only there a couple days a week, um, but it was still very much Bill's show. So the the guy who was running the show, Rick Swartzlander, um, was just sort of, like, I would imagine it was, it was like, trying to write in somebody else. Like he was trying to write in somebody else's voice, and it was, like, a little bit difficult, but... Generally speaking, uh, the room was like a very happy room that went home at 5 p.m. every day, where it was like, the, those also the stories on Cougar Town are not like the most ambitious. Like Bill would be the first to tell you. It's like, Jules finds, uh, she's got a bill she hasn't paid. And that's on page 20. So you're like, you don't have, like it's just like Bill's the first to say it. it's like It's like hangout comedy. So you're just, I never even heard that. But like Bill would be like, He'd be like, ah, this scene right here is just a re hit of the last scene. I'm like, what? Like, I don't know. Okay, like, I thought you had to, like, drive the story further. But, like, he, he really likes those characters kind of just hanging out and talking, and it works well for that show.
2: Well, we also came from having worked on two multicam shows where story is much, it feels like story needs uh, greater, um, it takes a greater part, I guess. And there's more of it that needs to happen. That's, well, and yeah. more jokes and, and more As jokes, well as yes. more plot. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so that was it was uh, there was a lot less pressure I felt in that room to like really like you know then we have to hit this plot point like you don't hear that a lot in Cougar Town rooms. It was
2: also season, it was season four, so you talk about like actors having like already kind of owned their their character. It's,
4: season four at Cougar Town. The billboard said the pressure's off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just a shot of
4: Courtney Cox's head that just said the pressure's off. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk. Season five is just hashtag fuck it. <laughs> Syndication. It's spelled out on wine corks. I think it's actually sip happens. Uh, but it's
5: uh, it's, it's. <laughs> Did anyone see that the Grove?
1: Yeah,
5: yeah. That's impressive. I saw like the worker bees uh, like for for Christmas, just like spending days gluing
2: cork. It's real. It's oh yes, real, yeah. cork?
5: real cork? real oh, yeah. cork.
2: It is Courtney Cox's face writ large in cork. I
3: didn't <laughs> Which would like sure. horrify her especially if like anybody else we worked with. Well, wished. it right
5: there drinking yeah. all the wine. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's five seasons worth. Courtney, um, need one more cork <laughs> for your nostril. <laughs>
3: Fuck it, here you go. <laughs> uh,
0: Dan and Chris, I want to ask you guys about how um, you spent that year away from community. Uh, tell us about uh, uh, Rick and Morty.
4: I went over and did uh, Adult Swim. I I, I had wisely, like, like even early on into season three of Community, recognizing that I... Because it was at the beginning of season three... Sorry, no. It was the end of season two when we wrapped for the year and the writers were free to go, and I I found myself hoping that they wouldn't go. (laughs) wouldn't leave the office. Because, uh, and, and they started playing poker. And I was like, I remember feeling this sense of relief. Like, they're going to stay and play poker. Oh, my God. <laughs> because something had happened between season one and two. I had gone from that Howard Hughes work ethic to like, where I was like, eh, these people, I don't, they're trying to fuck with the show and the, all this stuff. But then it was, okay, you want to collaborate, let's collaborate. So then, anyways, long answer. But see, season three, I had recognized, like, I'm emotionally attached to this show. I'm emotionally attached to these people. Um, it, this is something that a corporation can turn on or off like a light. And I have an emotional experience, uh, uh, relationship with it. Uh, the, the, that means the bad guys aren't winning yet, but they are they, they are check on the chessboard, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I early on was like started pitching stuff like crazy um, the, the, that I could run to in the event of a cataclysm so so so, so how was that an answer to your question I, 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 <laughs> well, I you were here was yeah. it was like I, I, I was pretty proud of myself from that one regard that as soon as I got fired I grabbed my go bag I, uh, <laughs> and it was like in Belize you know like I, I those kind of mixing breaking bad metaphors that I, <laughs> I either got away or I got killed uh, but I, I, as, as soon as I got killed I grabbed my go bag and, and was not killed uh, yes. and, and, and it was just in Burbank. It was it was it was interesting. It was definitely I committed to the whole wound licking thing. Like I really made no bones about that. I was that I was Napoleon in Alba. You know <laughs> that I was like this guy that felt sorry for himself. Was like would going to grumble about making the show without him. And uh, like I just I just committed to it because like I. I'm never gonna be a good person. Uh, like, uh, I'm, not, I'm not gonna make some careful series of choices that are gonna make me come out the other side looking like Rob Lowe emotionally. Like, uh, I'm, I'm always gonna be a troll and a fucking grody Adrian Brody. Um, the, 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 the so so I just I just committed to that and felt felt monstrous and stuff. And I it was a very healing experience because the character of Rick in that show is like he's this, boozing belching sociopathic uh, self-described genius who has bigger fish to fry and doesn't give a fuck what anyone thinks and it, was very, it felt very punk rock like diving into that character and, and, and it was great and it was, it was actually really like kind of a dark point in a biopic the day I had to go into that writer's room and look at Justin Roiland and say they, they want me back uh, like like it was it was sort of it was it was actually at that point in a good story where the dark thing happens that is what going back to community was it was like a very it was a, it was a bummer <laughs> from a lot of perspectives <laughs>
0: Uh, how about you, Chris? Were, were you on Mindy during that
5: year? Yeah, well, uh, I, I ended up taking a deal with Universal because uh, uh, Dan and I were, you know, excited of all of our plans for season four. <laughs> so I had a choice uh, of taking a deal with Sony or Universal, uh, who both produced the show, and it just seemed like, uh, like oh. okay, well, you know, take a deal and then let's go back and work on Community. Thank God I didn't take the Sony deal because their whole plan was they wanted me to run the show without Dan and uh, if I had taken that deal they, uh, it, got, it would have gotten very, very ugly. Um, whereas Universal they were just like we'll we'll we uh,
4: we never liked community.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
4: Sony had ambitions for community. Yeah, <laughs> NBC no, I mean, was like, fuck, no, yeah. yeah. Me.
5: they did not want me to go back <laughs> this year. But the thing is, Universal, I don't know, there was, uh, Universal, the studio, just sort of re, sort of ignited a couple years ago. Like, they weren't even around, I don't know, they were sort of like, it was a. Part of the network, and then basically Bella, you know, sort of it sort of became an entity again. And so I went and worked on uh, one of their shows, uh, the mini project, um, which was great. I worked with Matt Warburton, who um, came and did a little bit. I've, all, I've known for years, never worked with. He was a long-time Simpsons guy. I think he was working on Simpsons even while he was still at Harvard. Uh, and he was going to be running the show with Mindy. And Adam County, who was another community uh, colleague and friend, was going over there. And uh, I ended up there. and just had a great time. Uh, Mindy's fantastically talented. Instantly, every time she's in the room, the funniest person in the room. And... Um, just really funny, talented people. Uh, Ike Barinholtz and his writing partner Dave Stassen, and then Ike, you know, uh, day one, Mindy created a character for him, Uh, and uh, Jeremy Bronson, and some other, you know, anyways, it was a small group of writers and had a great time, meanwhile developed uh, for the network that year, Uh, and uh, it went as well as you can imagine. Uh, I'm not Running my own show on NBC right now, uh, but it worked out. You know, it worked out uh, in the most bummery way, which is, yeah, I had to go back. To... <laughs> it
4: really is like the beginning of uh, of some kind of underdog sports movie. Like, we're both the Tom Berenger character. All these, all these poor kids that couldn't get hired by Parks and Rec. Come back. Uh, I heard you're hard to work for, Mr. Harlan, but uh, it's either this or back to Minneapolis i <laughs> <laughs> that was that was
5: actually one of the great things though about uh about staffing was everyone I mean the story are have everyone knows. It's people like, you're, people if you're
4: came coming to this meeting then they you, brought toothbrushes to the job interview. <laughs> I was like, all right, I see you brought your toothbrush, so you're ready to work. <laughs> We're not gonna cougar town this shit.
0: <laughs>
4: not yet. Not yet. Uh, our goal is to get half of their ratings. We're so gonna work twice as hard.
0: Is it is your schedule still like that? By the way, are you guys yeah. still sleeping at the?
4: Yeah, Even I mean, We worked very very hard, but we took weekends off this year. That was the. It I mean, sounds like a joke, but like we would at the drop of a happy working Saturdays. I mean, well, who I? no, we started we ended up working Saturdays. There was anyway. a period by the end where it was. I think we worked something like
5: twenty one days in a row, like including weekend. It was just one of these things where we there was there was just no. We had to. We, we, we were we were just at that point where we got tripped up on a couple episodes and we were right up against it basically for the last, I'd say, six to eight weeks where uh, we were just writing, you know, just, we didn't, I will, Dan, 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 it's funny because I will say one of the best things in the world for us, for our community, and Dan might disagree, uh <laughs> Table reads because whenever we had to make a ta- even if we're pushing table reads, as if- long as we had them, then we had to have a script. So we're always like a brutal all-nighter, you know. And then we would have the table read because that's where I'd your, your
4: ego point. gets invoked because you're going to have to read a script, frankly, in front of the fucking lighting director, in yeah. front of the key grip, like like the department heads are there. And uh, and I actually that's where my ego kicks <laughs> in, <laughs> and I go like I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read a shitty script in front of the crew, right. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them work uh, unfairly hard because the script's not going to be done on time. But but I'm, I, don't, I, I want them to laugh at my script.
5: And I, and I think for like the... I'm trying to remember. I think it was a certain point towards the end of the season. It was just like we were... We had bitten off a lot and we were up against it. And there was just no time. We were just like... We, we can't have a table read. This episode starts shooting on Monday. It is now Friday. We're still figuring out the story. So once... Then, then we get to this place where we're writing scenes out of order, and and we're just trying to. Once you get to that point where you're just writing the scenes for the next day, then, then I, it's it's exhilarating. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, I'd say though, you know, earlier in the season, coming out of pre-production, we had we we were really proud that we had that we had done what I don't think pre-production, we you know, you guys had ever done before, which was we had nine stories. Yes, they changed. Uh, some you know some of them, uh, but um, were the
0: changes due to outside forces or was it just like the practicalities? Of well, like shooting? one
5: one that one that early one that kind of killed us for a while. I, I won't ruin it. It's upcoming. There was a certain. It's like one of these things that Dan and I we sat there and we, like cockily said to people, "This is how you know you're not writing. You know, we're not do, we're not breaking stories right. It's when we come up with a concept first and then write towards that concept." And then this thing—this is one of those things where we had a concept, and, it ju- we, kept, and we just let the, 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 the tail wag us and get us in the ass. Yeah, Bit us in the ass.
4: Are you talking about D and D? No. Oh. Well, uh, we, then we did that like eight times this year. Five, 504. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. This will be
0: out yeah. after that if you want to talk about it at all. What's time. that? It'll just be spoiled for the people in this room.
4: We we, we,
5: have, we have an ambitious episode that's someone's goodbye. I think you might know who it is. And we have some concepts concept that we were writing towards. And it was one of these things we were just... And I will say, one of the things we did, we really tried to stick to at the beginning this year, was actually have outlines and read the outlines because they're, they're, they're homework, but it's <laughs> homework that you don't do it it can often kill you we were just about to send the writer off um and we're like "Ah, this concept i think it's the wrong you know dan was like i think this is the wrong concept we should do this other version of this sort of same idea but instantly was more fun but it instantly was a lot more work and we were right then 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 we had to break what that sort of new concept was and it's it's coming up it's it'll air fifth uh it's it's Donald.
4: Now, I think it turned out really well, but it was one of those ones that was. Uh, it's the breast cancer episode. Okay, let's just <laughs> like it, it kept not seeming it was, as funny as it should. When, when it was penis, when it was
5: penis cancer, not that funny. Yeah. Right.
4: <laughs> and I, finally, death. I made it the number one killer of women, and uh, it just, it sort of leapt off the page. Uh, but we only had twenty four hours to uh, you know really get it together. But who are we kidding? We 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 broke a bunch of stuff. Uh, it, yeah, it's uh, what he said
0: uh, I want to talk just briefly And then we'll uh, go to questions from you guys So if you have questions, come and take a place here uh, While they're getting up and walking around um, Justin, you touched on this And it's not something we talk about all too often On these uh, panels But it's something that does come up among writers Which is the toll of working on a writing uh, staff Especially running your own show Or working as hard as you might on someone else's show um, on your social life, your family life, um, what does it do to relationships? I mean, a couple of the guys on this uh, panel have children. A couple of them are newly engaged, from what I understand. Hmm? Um, <laughs> that, that, that's me. I
4: actually You're didn't so even realize that was me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Surprise. It's like, it's like three of you, right? <laughs> Wait, Patrick, are you also? He's newly engaged. That is correct. So there's three of you newly engaged. That's insane. They deserve a round of applause.
2: (laughs) Um, Are
5: you guys on hiatus? We
3: are. We are just editing. We shot all our episodes.
5: Yeah, it seems like one of those things you have to do, right? Like in post. In in post. post, Like sorry for all
4: that. (laughs) We'll we'll fix it in post. That's what I keep telling my girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Please don't leave me. I'll fix it. Post. <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean, our our writers' room started up two weeks or a week and a half after I had our, we had our first child. Um, or my wife had it. I didn't do shit. Um, we didn't Cougar Town it, so we were working pretty long hours. And uh, right away, it was like. She was really understanding, but it, there's, it doesn't matter how understanding you are, if especially she's home with a baby from you know basically 24 hours, because it's always awake and. Um,
2: and wines more than I
3: do. Yeah, and wines more than Patrick, and it was just hard because I'd come home and as much as she like, I'm tired too, but I'm not you know I'm not baby tired. <laughs> So, so when I come home, the baby like she didn't want to like she said early on. She's like, I'm not gonna be the type of person who just like you walk in the door and I hand you a baby because I know you're working really hard too. But like from her point of view, it's like fuck it. I was with this baby all day. Like you walk in the door, take it. So it was really tense. There's like a lot so of like you lied. <laughs> Basically, what I'm saying is my wife's a liar. Um, no, it's just it was just it just takes a toll. and, and I think like. I honestly think if we had to do if we had, had to do twenty two episodes, like I don't know what it would have happened in terms. We would have had to like go to counseling or something. I don't know. Like, and we have a really good relationship. It's just so much stress. I mean, it, it, especially like with the kid, but even without the kid, I think it's just you're you're basically asking them to be on their own for a really long time. Mm-hmm.
4: It's like going to the I assume going into the army kind of like yeah, yeah or a prison sentence because you are you are you are on the one side of a thing that it's not going to abate. It doesn't. The weird thing is that the weekends that doesn't it doesn't count. Like you count... you, you because you're not there, right? Yeah, like, I mean like like, like I, I, I you 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 when you ring your brain like a sponge. Uh, and again, I'm romanticizing what we do because it's a writer's podcast. Uh, if, if you're if you're a welder, why are you listening? <laughs> I, I understand you work harder than me, but, uh, uh, the, but those the, of you in the military, eh, come on, <laughs> <laughs> come on. I've I, I, I've seen CNN. It's all drones now. Come on. Um, no, the the you uh, you 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 push your brain like a rubber stamp, but but you know just like like uh, mushing juice out of it, like 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 and then so even when you're there that's the hard thing to explain it's like, like your Saturday morning happens and you get to sleep in and you wake up and you I don't know I, I have like this like autistic like like recoil that happens where right? I just want to curl up like the guy from Fire in the Sky and <laughs> Yeah, like like point at my mouth when I'm hungry <laughs> it, 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 and that, that that doesn't seem fair at all to your significant
3: other. No, those were the that was actually those are the biggest fights we got into was when it would be the weekend and I'm like spacing out like crazy. I'm not even like make blinking or making eye contact and she's like, You need to be with me and I'm like, I know I do, I just like I can't <laughs> say re-entry. words. It's,
5: re-entry. It, it, it's tough. And re-entry from those kind of yeah. like voyages in a in a capsule for a week it is really really difficult uh and
4: uh yeah. Just you getting used to. You have to tune out, like, or get used to, or start dancing to the throbbing voice in your head that says, "You suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck." You have to, like, like that's from, Patrick from, for me. from 10 a.m. <laughs> until until 9 p.m. Like, like you have to start going cha 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 cha. cha. <laughs> you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck. Like, like, like <laughs> it, it, you 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 acquire the equivalent of gallows humor. It's like I, it really is like. All I can think of is like guys going off to World War One and you know, before you were allowed to talk about that stuff, before they had diagnosed PTSD when you you would come home from World War One and just you, you, it's it's Johnny. He's come marching home, but he's like, like, you know, he's he's seen shit that he he had to he had to unplug stuff in his head. Yeah, a reentry is a great way to put it. I mean, no, like, my really way, way is good. Is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my, my my way that trivializes our the, the greatest okay. generations' uh, sacrifices for our country. It really is like beating a joke is like taking shrap in Normandy, man. This,
5: this is why I gave you all of my dad's World War II medals.
4: <laughs> he wears them around. <laughs> I march around.
5: Yeah, uh, yeah no, we, we ch- I changed uh, the one he got for you know, the Battle of Guadalcanal. It's like, oh, Battle of fi- uh, 509. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, was a tough one, man.
4: Because no, stole- how do you tap perfection? <laughs> I,
5: I, I, I cribbed that idea of re-entries actually from another, Walker Percy. I don't know if you're familiar with Walker Percy. It's in a great book of his called Lost in the Cosmos. One of my favorite writers. Uh, and, uh, no, Lost in the Cosmos, if you've never read it, read it. It's, like, it's a sort of a parody. And- no! <laughs> <laughs> There's a foreword by you in it. Oh. oh,
4: oh yeah. <laughs> he, he's got my number.
0: Uh, let me ask this, just starting with Joe and going down the line. Um, do you like writing? Do you like the process? <laughs>
4: He has to ask at the end of every single. We, one of these. we get this. I, I'm sorry. Do you guys enjoy this? <laughs>
6: we get it on both sides. I'm, I'm curious to hear from you. guys. I was actually just talking about this the other day because I actually, I actually enjoy writing, and I, I, I knew feel you like would. I feel like every writer I talk to is is. I should have ended with it. you. And uh, yeah, I, I love it. Like I, there's the headache-inducing moments. There's like those moments of I suck, I suck, I'm terrible. Oh hey, wine, but. Uh, like, really, like, I don't know, like, when you get that riff going, when you, like, get to that moment where you realize something's clicking, like, to me, that's drugs. Like, that's a, a high, and I absolutely love that. But
0: that. It, is it difficult for you to get started in the process, or do you tend to dive in?
6: I mean, I don't know, like, you, you, TV schedules mean that you don't have time to warm up. I mean, I spend an hour on Twitter, but then, like, you gotta write. So, for me, like, I haven't had writer's block since day one of White Collar. Sure. Because, like, you just go. And uh, I actually really appreciate that sense because you got to get something on the page. It'll probably suck. The second version will suck. The third version will be maybe elements of good that you steal and laugh and think, oh, hey, look what I did. But I, I really, really enjoy it, even though it breaks my soul just about every day. Like...
3: <laughs> Justin. Uh, I, I love writing down things my dad says. <laughs> And I like writing. Um, no, uh, I enjoy it. I mean, there's there's times when there's there's times when we'll like like we had to turn in a we had an episode that really like fucked us and we had to rewrite it and and we had like basically three days to do it or two days no two days to do it and after day one we had written two pages and we were like freaking out and, and I was like I hate this job it's the fucking worst job I'll go back to waiting tables I don't care like I hate it and then the next day like it came a lot easier and then I was like oh this is great I love this job so I mean I think it's just it's day to day but in general it's like I'm lucky to be
2: doing this job Patrick do you enjoy writing? I really enjoy writing Cougar Town <laughs> <laughs> Well then why do you stop so early?
0: <laughs>
1: is the
2: process something you enjoy then? Uh, I, I think this is, this is where the partnership really comes into play I think if I were writing in a vacuum or having to do this all on my own, I would be back in St. Louis. Um, so yeah, that that is the big uh, the big fun of writing for me. Um, so otherwise, no. <laughs> it is not enjoyable at all. <laughs> I, I, I moved out here wanting to direct TV commercials. He says
3: that to me every fucking time we write a script. At some point during a script, he's like, "I didn't want to do this. I wanted to direct TV commercials." You you did this to me. Yeah, like like I had said shit. Yeah. Well,
4: why you got me typing, bro? <laughs> Came out here to paint with light. (laughs) Uh, No, I do not enjoy writing, and I'll tell you why. Because the guy that says I, the guy that says I write, the guy that thinks that he actively writes, that's the ego. And the ego hates writing because the ego has to get the fuck out of the way or you're not actually writing. As we all know, like you said, like, you know, no time to warm up. You do Twitter for an hour and then you got to get to work. That's another way of saying your ego doesn't have a chance. Your ego would stay on Twitter for three hours. Mine does. The self, the human being that, gets, that has a chest to pin things to, um, that asshole never did anything in his life. And uh, he has, like, a big, giant... I don't know what metaphor to use. I want to just create a Cronenbergian kind of uh, <laughs> like image for you of, like, a big, giant... Sphincter on that you wear on your shoulders that like th- that God likes to stick his finger through you know and that, that like you're just a rag doll on the bottom of that thing and whenever you're whenever the New York Times is interviewing you about your process whenever you're talking about what you want to do that day and all that stuff that's a little jackass that never never earned anything and your talent your gift your your capacity to let God like get shit done through you that's that's just something you didn't earn. It's like a growth on your back. I, the asshole, the rag doll talking to you, I do not enjoy writing because, because I am Salieri to that process as Mozart. I don't like being constantly proven that I'm the, the problem. Uh, I, 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 for me, the guy talking, my ego, the process is my obliteration. Um, if I was somehow Agnes of God and could say, could speak for the sphincter... I would say
1: I love writing but,
4: but, but, I don't think it would sound like that no. Chris
1: <clears throat> I think writing I, <laughs> 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 I just love I just
5: love getting there and like painting with my mind
1: <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it's a. It's, oh, come on,
5: it's a pay. I mean, I think I think the results of it are often. When you look back, and you go, "Oh God, that 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 was."
4: That's the. That, I, I accidentally I, stole from Dorothy Parker once when I tweeted, and I found out that she said, "I don't. I hate writing. I or I don't. Can't remember. I'm paraphrasing her. What did she say? I hate. I hate writing. I enjoy having written something yeah. like that. I,
5: I think it's. I think it's the same way. I think it's the same way for pretty much everyone, uh, <coughs> except maybe really terrible writers. Um, I you know I will say on community this year uh, I because of the way you know I will say I miss it <laughs> because so much of particularly you know uh, the way Dan and I had to split things as he said earlier about the set I, I going into it this year I didn't re- I forgot how much of this would fall on like just the minutia of production. Producing of of, of, I, of I, to me I, I love the writers' room. I love being with other writers. I love that process. I love the, I love the energy when you, everyone is sort of like when you when you finally have a breakthrough uh, and you guys are all and just that that, that just the laughing that, that that gets done. That isn't I, when, when I'm when I'm basically on, in a production meeting with a bunch of. Production people <laughs> who are just looking at a, that a 32 page script and wishing it could be five <laughs> pages shorter, and asking what every prop means and what it, that is not fun. That that and that is the so that and being on set were so much of my duties this year that uh, that's why I really I loved pre-production because it was all writers all the time and then. And then it's just that thing where so much of it is like Dan, Dan or I having to be at rehearsal and babysit the set as much as we can, and most of it would just be like, yeah, Dan's going to be in the writer's room, I'm going to be on set a lot, um, running back and forth and running to production meetings and dealing with fires and dealing with casting and, and dealing with, um, oh, who's... Who, what cast member's leaving now? Um,
4: but <laughs> and a, who, anyway, from <laughs> <laughs> who from Breaking Bad will we replace them with? Who from Breaking Bad will we replace them with?
5: Uh... Anyway, uh, I so as as much as I don't like it, I also I also uh, coming off of this season, I'm still I'm still at that place where I'm just like one of my favorite things in the world. As much as I don't, is, I have, the, you know, we all have this this uh, complicated uh, feelings about writing. Is one of my favorite things in the world is going off for a week and writing a script. And that was one of my favorite things to do on community when, when, we, when, we would, when we could never have that leeway, even going away for a few days, sitting in the quiet of your own room and writing a scene. And, and writing, and that, that's one of those things that uh, it's just, uh, I, I love it when, when, when you can, as painful as you can be, uh, it's, it's one of those things that I, I, I think I'm, when when I come out of it to, to crib from, from Dan Harmon, uh, I like having written. <laughs> sorry, I babbled.
0: We've time for a couple.
2: Yeah. Hi. How does the writing process change for you or for the writing room when there's a change in schedule for the show whether it's more episodes, less episodes for a season, a pickup, etc.? One
5: of the things I was going to say was I was really I took it I took I took it. I was I was really annoyed and, and pretty angry when we didn't get more episodes this year. Because it, it had been sort of alluded to with us that we were going to get more episodes, and I, I was really—I it took it as a point, like a, as, a, as a blow to the ego that we didn't. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Because we were really proud of everything we were doing, and but oh my God, in retrospect, thank God we only did thirteen. <laughs> uh, do you
0: do you feel like there are episodes left on the table then? I mean, you must feel like that every season, but still, you know. Are there ones that got away? Are you, you know, ready for another season?
4: Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Because because every season you make a, new, a whole new filing cabinet full of mistakes that you get to. You could spend another season experimenting with not doing.
6: <laughs> we uh, we had uh, white collar's order was uh, brought down from sixteen to thirteen, and uh, that was just a lot of the gray line and white collar both going uh, simultaneously, and it was kind of awesome. I mean, like, it, it was nice because, you know, 16 episodes you, you can do and you can do well and hopefully, hopefully you won't have that one or two episode that just sort of, you know, gets lost in the shuffle. But with 13 episodes, you were, we were really forced to, like, just shove it all in and get it there. And there were a couple episodes that there were arcs that might have been stretched out a bit that we really compro- uh, compacted. Um, but at the same time, sometimes when you can have a couple more episodes than you expect you find those new stories to tell, but... Uh, forcing you to really like get it down to thirteen episodes. I love thirteen, sixteen episodes. I don't know how anyone does twenty-two. I really.
4: You'll notice five of them suck.
2: Yeah,
6: <laughs> yeah I. love...
4: Uh, I, I, I the love. first season. We did twenty-five. Uh, That's insane. <laughs> but but conversely, that yeah, when they ordered the couple extra episodes that uh, first season, that was paintball, that was chicken fingers, because we 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 wrote our finale first. Knowing they kept threatening to order more episodes, so <laughs> we, we had we had a sh- line of typing paper t- taped up on the wall It was each episode, and we put in two blank pieces of paper, three blank pieces of paper before the finale between the finale and this other one and we knew any day now they 're going to make us write these, but we don 't have that guarantee, and we don 't have that budget so we and that that 's how the I, I don't, I, I'm pretending like everyone's seen Paint uh, Community and knows what I'm talking about when I say the, the first season we did like this crazy paintball episode and then we did this like Scorsese homage they were standalone episodes and they had to be so that was a that was a value add um,
5: but what happened was we because we'd already produced the last three and they were building towards a uh, a finale moment these other three we actually sort of we had to write and break them. Not really progressing any of those balls forward, but still right. making them entertaining. It, that, so that was that was, a, that was a little bit of a trick.
6: Well, sort of like writing a spec, right? It's like you got to have an right. episode that falls between the cracks, creates. Right. Yeah, the or like writing an
4: episode of Star Trek or something. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, oh, these guys are in the bridge, and like <laughs> we just have to ask a question that gets answered by the end of the episode. <laughs>
6: yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm curious about uh, you guys, uh, uh, Patrick and Justin, your experience on
3: Surviving Jack. You were saying you got eight
1: yeah. instead yeah. of whatever well, we had
0: for thirteen.
3: Our original order was for thirteen, and then uh, when they gave us our premiere. They were like, we're premiering after American Idol, which we were excited about. And they're like, there's only eight (laughs) slots after the Olympics after American Idol. And we were shooting our eighth episode and writing our ninth because we had gotten behind. (laughs) And so I wish if they had just come to us and said we want to do eight episodes, I feel like we could have spent a little more time on those last probably three that we really like needed to do, needed to spend a little extra time. So for us it was It was like a relief. It was the weirdest thing because we had to then go in and tell all the writers, like, basically, you're, you know, you're fired. Like, (laughs) you're not going to get five more episodes to get paid by, which is like a shitty thing to say to writers. But at the same time, it was like he and I were – it it was such relief that we just didn't have to keep making shows that uh, it was like, guys (laughs) – This is really sad, but...
4: (laughs) But as you can see, I'm smiling. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Sorry.
2: I do this when I'm sad. (laughs) So it was a little bittersweet. I wish we'd had more time, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, we were also working on an episode that I would say was like 50-50, like very polarizing with the rest of the staff. So I think 50% of the staff got their wish that this episode (laughs) didn't see the light of day. Yeah. I'm curious about, though, like in a first season show, and any of
0: you guys can speak to this, um, when you get an order for 13 or even, or 8 or whatever it is, do you go all out? Do you leave anything on the table? Or do you assume, I'm going to get these 8 or 13 or 12, and that is it, so I have to tell all the stories I have to tell?
3: Well, that was my argument for being on the 50% that wanted to do this episode was that I was like, let's just, like, people were like, well, don't we want to save that for the second season? I'm like, I've never worked on a fucking second season show. Like, I don't know. How about we just do the best episode in this first season and then see if we're one of the lucky people to get a second episode of, of TV for second season. So for me, it was like, I, I don't know. I, I am an advocate of just, like, putting it all out there. Um, But I'm also a guy who hasn't been doing it that long, so...
4: Yeah, I think it's kind of like the same amount of water hits the plate... No matter how hard and how fast you squeeze the sponge, uh, like like you don't you don't like strategize about how long you're gonna make the sponge <laughs> squeezing last. You just sort of think of it more like yeah. You, know, you just you just try everything you can like as
6: hard as you can the whole time. When we did uh, White Collar, we had basically a four year mythology that we turned into two years because we just started pushing everything together and we took. I mean, this is, I guess, unique to drama, but, like, when you have a big bad, like, we had a big bad on White Collar, and Matt Nix sort of recommended to us, like, don't drag that out too long. Like, he felt that on Burn Notice they dragged it on to a point where people didn't trust the audience. So we wrapped everything up season two. Like, we answered all of the questions we wanted to answer, and this was stuff that, you know, going into it, we were going to have, that's our six seasons. Like, the mentalists didn't, they just solved the killer. I don't know how they did that. But kudos to them because like we Oh, he
4: was a mentalist.
6: <laughs> you don't
4: you you don't know how he solved the crimes?
5: The mentalist has like one overarching I've never seen it, so it has one overarching
6: really storyline. It had a mythology of who killed his family. Uh, which is very uplifting. And uh <laughs> and they 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 extended it until I think this was the fifth season. And I I kudos to them. Like we just we burned through it. And I think the the fun of it is challenging yourself to what's next. Like, our whole mythology was this girl that Neil was in love with and then we killed her and then we like wrapped everything up and it's like, who is this guy after the high concept of the pilot is wrapped up? Yeah. yeah and that yeah. was fun. In a post-internet
4: age, when, when, when the phrase, jump the shark, is a phrase in common <laughs> vocabulary, it doesn't matter if it's common for your mom or not like you think of the most savvy TV viewer you can think of. So if you, if you okay, now there's this new idea of jumping the shark, so what are we going to act like we're writing Mork and Mindy? No, we're going to act like we're in a post-jump-the-shark-savvy world, and if there's a shark in sight, we're going to d- run over to it and <laughs> leap over it and make that part of our dance so yeah. that, the new, that you have to jump something other than a shark in order to end your show from now on. Do,
0: do the executives at the network or studios that you guys work with understand that point of view? No. Like, I feel like, I feel like Did I not let
4: you finish the question? <laughs>
0: I mean, but how do you have that conversation saying the audience is savvy? They've been watching TV for 60 years. They know how to watch TV. You,
4: you don't because, because the truth is we're wrong when we say that. But, but, but also we, we – god damn it. Like we, 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 we are – obviously they're right. Obviously the idiots <laughs> are right when they talk about like, like what, is the, what is profitable television? What is low-risk, high-yield television? Mm-hmm. What does it look like? Mm-hmm. We all know what it looks like. It looks like a fucking show about a guy hanging out. He's got a wife, and he's in his kitchen, and it's multicam. It's not single cam. It's, 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 it, we know what that show looks like, and we also know that that's what garbage looks like. But we, 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 so, so there's this difference between the suits and the writers because all of the writers that end up making one of those pieces of shit that generates all that revenue on accident, because a lot of them waste a lot of money too, they all have one thing in common. They all get off the bus from Muskegon going, I'm going to make great television. <laughs> and their definition of great television was something they saw that didn't look like a guy in a kitchen hanging out with his wife. It looked like a really special episode of MASH. It looked like Arrested Development. It looked like something that inspired that person. So here they come out. They come off the bus. I want to make TV. But I, the, 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 the fucking rich people are right. They are correct about what television is supposed to do if it wants to make money. And then the the, the writers are correct when they say it should be fucking weird. And and then it's... I don't know. Like, like there is no resolving it. And thank God TV's dead. Everyone's downloading everything. It doesn't matter. Thank God that war is over. Because I didn't want to watch them win. They kept winning. They were never gonna stop winning. We were already ten people in a room. Like that—that was already a victory for them. Like there was a long time ago when somebody was writing TV a TV show and going like, "Geez, don't you think maybe it should be just me typing?" And I said, "No, fuck you. Get nine of your friends and go fuck yourself." Stuff. <laughs> and if you stop writing, you're fired. And the, the other nine guys are going,
6: okay, yes, sir. Well, the writers, are, we fucking lost. We lost. I, to me, I think the challenge of it is like.
5: <laughs>
6: <laughs> I try. Really
5: a spit take. <laughs> That's exactly the kind of garbage we don't want to see!
4: Spit <laughs> takes. <laughs> the irony is that that is exactly the kind of shit that their dad says.
6: <laughs> By the way, we, also, too. we also laughed at it, too. I mean, it works. <laughs> Spit takes work. Uh, it's, to me, the, the, the fun challenge of it is, like, you, you get these notes, they could be right, they could be wrong. Either way, you gotta take them. How do you make them good? Like, it's... It, it, the... I've gotten some really good notes that uh, I was able to use, and I've gotten notes I completely disagreed with, but you don't... The the challenge is how do you take a bad note and make it good? How do you make it so that it's better regardless of the bad note? You don't always... Because
4: all their notes are behind every note is them saying, can't TV be better. The answer is always yes. Absolutely, yes, sir. Yes, I can take this page that you. you, I don't. I don't. That the note. If they can handle the idea of you addressing the note behind the note, then you're good. Like if they ask for a dog because they think dogs are better, and you add an ostrich, and they (laughs) they take that as a personal affront because they specifically asked for a dog. Then everyone's fucked. Yeah. Put put the situation in your show, and <laughs> you turn that into putting Chevy in a
5: Beastmaster costume. Right?
4: <laughs> that was one of the early on notes. Yeah. yeah really, like, like, was was it Sony? Sony? Sony was very Snooki. excited about the situation or Snooki being in our show, because because that would make it better. Well, it would make people watch it.
2: Mm-hmm hopefully related actually Um, when you're running a show or even when you're just in the room how do you pick your battles creatively or do you have any insights about what you fight for and what you like just go by the wayside
4: I'll field this one you have to be very very careful strategically Uh, one must walk a razor's edge between diplomacy and strategy Uh, no I don't I don't know (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: uh, this is on your. I mean, you have a new show, and we're talking about what you learned from the old show,
3: uh, Justin and Patrick.
0: Yeah, it must I think have been something you considered.
3: Definitely. I mean, I think there was this this time we were very aware of things that we didn't want uh, anywhere near the show in terms of, and we talked to the writers about it very early on. We spent the first sort of week just talking about the characters and sort of how we envisioned them and and things that we wanted to stay away from, and just basically who the people were. And I think, you know, the characters grow, especially I, I think sometimes when you're dealing with, we have a lot of young actors on our show, like 15, 16, 17, and they're not quite, you know, some of them when they first start out weren't quite as skilled as, say, somebody who had been doing it a long time, and so we had to sort of adjust those characters to be something that they could perform because it's like, the, I don't know, it seemed like the worst thing ever when you're, like, writing these jokes that are just, like, everybody loves in the room and then you get on set and they're, like, they're terrible at a table read because it's just not in that actor's wheelhouse. So I think, you know, it's, for
2: me, it was really just like us talking through every
3: character and,
2: we were careful in the early days of pre-production to spend a lot of time talking with everyone, about everyone on staff—that is—about um, who these people were. Because we've worked on shows before that day one, like season one of of shows, day one, you're just like, well, let's jump into story. You guys have seen the pilot; you know who these guys are. Let's let's bring some stories. Yeah, we were on a show where where like the sixth week into the show,
3: uh, somebody was like, "Hey, are these." Who? Where do they? Do they work anywhere? Or do they like? And like we had, and there, we had no idea like anything about the characters because from day one it was like, well, what's so and so doing? The, this, he misses her birthday for this reason. I'm like, wait, who? I
2: don't even know who these people are. It was just like getting additive, and then you just have this giant, mess of mm-hmm. places and people and. What, should, you know that, what, was, what. that was. That was How to Be a Gentleman. Oh. A little show called. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: I've also, uh, something I've heard quite a
0: bit this season, particularly on dramas and Joe, maybe you can speak to this uh, from your recent experiences is that, you know, a lot of these shows lately are selling on premises and no one has any idea what episode two is, including the creator of the show, who maybe (laughs) isn't always a a TV writer, you know, very often can be a feature writer. Um, Have you been in rooms like this or at least had anecdotal uh, evidence of this?
6: Well, I mean, with uh, with White Collar, uh, season one, Jeff was gone for the first month and a half writing the second episode. And so we had a room that was uh, run by a consulting producer and had a bunch of lower levels in it. And Jeff will be the first one to say that that probably wasn't the best way to do it, but he really wanted that second episode to sing. Uh, meanwhile we were trying to figure out what we thought the show was and not really seeing him very much and when he finally came into the room all of a sudden things really started to come together and then we had a second episode as well which is nice but it, uh, it, it's a weird game of like setting the tone for what your room is like the biggest thing I took from it and, and he did as well is setting that tone talking to the room who these characters are what this world is before really going into generating what the story is gonna be. Wait,
3: so he created the show and then he was like, all right, I'm gonna be gone.
6: <laughs> you guys figure it out? No, he just, he like, he'd come in, he'd be like, all right, work on the story, figure out some A cases. I'm writing the second episode. And the, the network was like, we need the second episode, we need the second episode. So to a certain extent, it's, a, it's part of the, the process where they're like, you have to write this to show us what every other episode's gonna be problem is then we don't know what the show is and I think as a lot of people know that second episode is just a, it's a second pilot it's what the show actually is with the budget you actually have and what these characters are actually going to do like it's almost harder than the pilot I think so it's, it's a tricky balance to walk and to me it's like you spend time in the room still keep working on that second episode uh, but it's, you know, it's a tightrope like everything else in the room
0: yeah, and, and Dan, I just would like to ask you about the same thing. I mean, you created this engine for story in, in these seven characters who, you know, you could have endless stories there, but it seems like, to hear you say it and, and others, that the network is obsessed with the community college and they want to concentrate on this premise. How do you balance that? How do you, again, is it a conversation you can have with them? Can you say, it's about the characters, that's what people like?
4: No. <laughs> it 's not a you, you can have any conversation you want with a corporation that is financially accountable to creating a hundred episodes of a TV show um, but the there 's an elephant in the room that 's the the everybody you know that, that that plasticity that we talk about in l a culture uh where everyone loves everything that 's because there 's no profit in not loving anything <laughs> that, and, and it doesn 't there, there is no there's nothing good that can come of saying no to anyone. So when you read about me being difficult and you read about me having fights with suits, it doesn't, there's nothing, it doesn't look like that at all. Everyone sits on the phone and says, no, that sounds like a great idea. 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 Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, We just were worried about this. Was so-and-so was worried about that. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And, and somewhere in between the lines of those conversations, it becomes clear that you're absolutely not seeing eye to eye. Because one person who's saying, I love it, love it, love it, love it, is saying things like, We think it would be funny if Steve Martin and Martin Short came and did a Three Amigos um, thing with Chevy on your show in season two. We think that would be a good idea. And one of the people that's saying, that's, that sounds great, love it, love it, love it, is me, but I'm not going to do it. So sometime between the lines, sometime between the phone calls, someone realizes that someone who said they loved their Three Amigos parody idea didn't love it! And someone starts to feel embarrassed. Maybe, And someone starts to behave in certain ways. Someone maybe fires somebody. I don't know. (laughs) I I, I can tell you, I've never had a single fucking actual conflict you could recognize as a conflict with any of these people. Um, You don't balance anything. You get on the speakerphone, and everyone goes, love it, 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 love it. And you get pulled off the schedule, or you don't. Your, your number is 1.2 or it's 1.5, and they decide to love it, love it, love it, or not love it, love it, love it. But in any case, they say they love it, love it, love it, love it. And, and everyone loves everything, and everyone's just, like, like, sometimes, maybe every once in a while, there might be, like, a cautious call about, like, budget or uh, darkness. There was a darkness issue at one point, I think. <laughs> somebody somebody didn't like darkness, I don't know the fuck to tell that person. Definitely is going to be lighter next week. What the fuck are you talking about? What do you mean? And who are you? And what what do you eat? And who are your parents? And how did you get this job? Because there's no college degree for it. And I I just picture you popping out of a vat through a pneumatic tube and sliding to Dartmouth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> It'd be funny if you really got a lot of heat for yeah,
5: that. Got to take them down oh a
4: notch. Um, but, look, no, let me I ask you. No, there's no balance. It. It's like, like 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 you 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 play basketball with them or you don't. You uh, you 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 know stuff about the Lakers or you don't. You 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 have Aspergers or you don't. You know. it's like I'm a fucking dirty grubby dude whose whose parents uh, assembled themselves without permission and and I asserted myself within this class structure. I write television shows and I don't. I I sit on the fucking speakerphone and when they go three amigos, I. I, I, guess I, I guess I don't laugh hard enough I don't know I guess that's the, 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 that's the balance As if I would go <laughs> Jeremy awesome
1: <laughs> and, then, and then
4: put two amigos maybe maybe I would split the difference and strike a balance two amigos instead of three amigos <laughs> I don't know I don't like them they don't like me but it seems like
0: you found a way to, to work with them. I mean, like,
4: no,
5: no, no.
4: Have they found a way to work with you? They couldn't find anyone to hire to take my job. Do you think anyone wanted to do these last thirteen episodes of the show with no budget after how the fourth season went? They 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 got the one guy that they knew would say yes in time. (laughs) Uh, There's absolutely no honor in it, and there is no job security in it. You know, all of these guys probably have had overall deals. I haven't. Everyone hates me. I'm I I am I am don't don't awe I'm rich. I'm <laughs> just saying I don't strike a balance. They don't like me if they're listening. Fuck you. They're saying fuck you back. It doesn't we coexist like a fucking like penguin and a saber tooth tiger <laughs> like it's just different time periods, different biospheres. I, I, like like one would love to eat the other one. The other one wishes he could fly. I, no one knows what the fuck is going on. Uh, you just you stick them in a zoo together and you charge money uh, and, and and the zoo is bankrupt uh, unless there's a singing show on there no one's watching. Uh,
0: well, then you're pulling off something great because you're putting on great TV despite the things working against you and the team. Uh, you know it, you're doing something that is interesting and funny and is warm uh, and has heart. Not everybody gets to do that. I mean,
4: it's. Well, you're uh... welcome.
5: <laughs> so thank you. Back to, uh, back to having enough rope to hang ourselves. That was the thing. Is this year was different. It wasn't. They weren't. There was no mandate. There was no Dan to have to march to Burbank and and pitch the season out. It was. We we got to make the episodes that we made. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry in advance. No I, no, I But yeah. So that was. That's 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 the chilling thing about it is there was no one saying. Uh, you know, you absolutely uh, cannot do Dungeons and Dragons 2. Like the first time around when you know right. when they they, they, they they told they you know Dan got marched to his office and, and scolded for, for, for the episode because they couldn't throw it out because it shot on
4: Monday it shoots on Monday and we read it on Friday and, uh, and they said f- they wanted to They're like. We wish you had written this earlier so we could throw, throw it in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing they didn't add at the end was nerd. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
4: the N word. That's the only thing they left out. <laughs> nerd. <laughs> you nerd.
1: <laughs> you wrote nerd shit. <laughs>
4: that's the
3: Dartmouth motto.
1: Nerd.
6: <laughs> <laughs> there was. There was
5: concern that the word goblin was used a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> funny. Anyway.
4: Nothing marketable about that. No. So this year,
5: this year uh, every episode is Dungeons and
4: Dragons. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. There's a goblin in every fucking frame. <laughs>
2: there's goblins everywhere. And not one single amigo. Uh,
4: there's a
5: uh, point no, where yeah, you... we got rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. Not even one amigo.
2: <laughs>
5: <Yeah>.
2: Zero amigos.
0: <laughs> All right, very quickly, uh, let's start here with Joe and go down the line. Uh, what do you love that is on TV? What are you watching? What's getting you excited? What are you talking to your rooms about?
6: Uh, I just finished Orphan Black, which I thought was awesome. Uh, that's just That was great TV. I'm watching Adventure Time because it's fantastic, and it's just 15 minutes of like crazy, weird shit going on. Uh, I just finished uh, Broadchurch. Which was, uh, I drove him away with my answer.
4: Uh, <laughs> Adventure time. Uh, I hate that show. Those guys kicked his ass.
6: <laughs> Nerd. I uh, thought Broadchurch was fantastic, uh, and I'm very curious to see how they do that. Um, and Scandal. I am two seasons through Scandal now, and uh, I, I get it. I hate to say it. I, I can't stop watching
3: it. <laughs> Justin. Uh... <coughs> I think the, uh, right now we're watching Getting On which I really liked uh, and it's like I didn't think I, I have like a horrible fear of death so I didn't think I'd be able to watch it um, and I, I, I really love it I think it's it's just done very well and uh, I think that's a, that's currently what we're uh, and then it just it, my life revolves around like watching Game of Thrones and then waiting to watch
2: Game of Thrones <laughs> <laughs> uh, I started watching the Returned at Sundance yeah. Channel uh, French show, Kirby's pretty ball. pretty great. Uh just started it though. Good answer, uh, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. I, I should note that it's the one in French, not the one yeah. <laughs> uh, that I one read and, while I watch TV. And uh I I am also uh I should say that I watched and enjoyed very much uh, the pilot for enlisted. Um yeah. and everybody should check that out and Absolutely. support the show. Sure, yeah. If you can.
4: That's fine. Uh Go. I got the stuff my, my girlfriend is my uh, uh Brings taste into the relationship. Like I she started watching *Orange Is the New Black*, which is great. She she started watching uh, Lena Dunham's show *Girls*, which I, I I'm, re- I'm really enthusiastic about. When I when I'm watching Lena Dunham's work, and I, I I feel like I feel like I feel like people bag on her like 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 because she's young and she's like writing like naturalistically, and I I I just I, I so I can't I can't take up that mantle enough because I, I I feel pretentiously enough like I have those taste buds on my tongue and I can go fuck you I wish I could I wish it, uh, uh, at that age that I was writing like this I don't know I was It's it's hard to write that way, uh, anyways. Lena Dunham, Uh, and to have uh, such
0: a strong voice at such a young
1: age. Yeah,
4: that's the weird thing. Like you're not supposed to have that strong a voice at that age. I I guess that's that's what I'm saying. Like it's pretty (laughs) impressive. It reminds me of Woody Allen, which people hate hearing. But fuck you. Uh, um, uh, And uh, I just, I mean, if I have the time and I can suppress my ego enough to watch other people's work comedically, I'll put on an eagle heart. Uh, which I'm behind on right now I just think Eagle Heart is right up my alley
0: (laughs) Uh, Please give a round of applause to all of our panelists Joe Henderson, Justin Halpern and Patrick Dan Harmon and the late Chris McKenna Uh, Thanks to everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics and 2826LA Good night
1: Now leaving Nerdist.com (sweak) I'm just kidding.